The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. Chapter 9, um, 1 Corinthians, if you're uh, looking for it, is basically you kind of go to the back cover and then you're in about 100 pages. 1 Corinthians uh, chapters are the big numbers, verses are the small numbers. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we are going to finish out this chapter this morning. Um, let me read this for us, and then we will pray, and then we will uh, talk about what we're going to look at together in this chapter. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 to 27. For though I am free, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being, under my, not being myself under the law that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. Do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I do not, but I discipline myself and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Father, as we look at this together, I pray that you would help us to understand your word together, to apply it to our lives, to hear not merely that we are free in Jesus, but that we are free and yet, Lord, we are enslaved, we are committed, we are under your mission. So Jesus, I pray that you would show us what that means for us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, we have been preaching through, looking through the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been going through it kind of paragraph or two at a time. We started back in January uh, this year, and we have now kind of finally made our way up to the end of chapter 9. If you're not familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians, it's got 16 chapters, so we're a little over. Like my kids would say, are we there yet? Uh, no, we still got a ways to go. Um, but what we are going to be doing is this is the last sermon that we're going to do um, for this time. Uh, 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 for the summer on 1 Corinthians. We're going to take a pause in the book of 1 Corinthians to then kind of pick it up in the fall and then we will finish it in the winter of next year. But we are pausing after this sermon because we just, you know, we got people who are doing vacations, who are traveling. We want to get a little bit of some variety, right? So we're going to pick up in some psalms this summer. Uh, like we mentioned before, uh, David McCurdy and Jay Morris are going to be preaching for us in the next couple of weeks and then we're going to have a couple guys come in. But we have been working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, and it's kind of hard to kind of remember where we've been, but it's incredible what we've accomplished in kind of seeing what God's done in this book. This whole book is kind of, we put this banner over it saying, good news for bad Christians, right? The first, uh, the Corinthian church, they were jacked up, they had all these issues, and God loved them, and he desired for them to be not only in his family, but look like his family, right? And so the book of 1 Corinthians has been all about God showing us what does it mean for the gospel to be central to our lives? How does it, what does it mean that Jesus died in our place and rose again 
And that that power, the Holy Spirit, lives in us and moves in us and changes us. It changes our identity. We looked at that in chapter 4, how we don't have to manage our identities anymore. That Now our identity is resting in Jesus. We looked at it in chapters 2 and 3. We saw how we can have these temptations in the culture to try to make it like Jesus plus, you know, smoke and lights or Jesus plus this sort of program in our lives. And then we saw in chapter 5 how God uses the gospel to clarify what does it mean to follow God and be in his family? And then we saw in chapter 6 and 7, we saw uh, what does it mean to walk with purity in our lives with God? And then chapter 7 and 8 and 9, we saw what is sexuality and gender. Those are, we talked about a whole bunch of things, a wide range of categories of what does it mean for people who struggle to be Christians. And so as we're ending this chapter, we've just been talking about what does it mean to follow God with, um, when we struggle with our rights. And so we are going to be picking up here, we're going to be ending this chapter by looking at that good news not only enters into our mess, but actually it changes us and uses our mess in our obedience to Jesus. You see, nobody comes to Christ with a cookie-cutter story. Actually, we want to remember who is it that's been teaching us along the way. Uh, Nobody comes to Jesus with a cookie-cutter story. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote this book, is certainly nobody with a cookie-cutter story of how they came to Jesus. Right, that um, I'm not sure you imagine what it means like to become a Christian if you're new to Jesus, but sometimes it can kind of feel like, well, you go to church, and then you know, when you're a teenager, you say yes to Jesus, and then you have no issues for the rest of your life, and you just kind of become a church member, and you follow along. And actually, the story of the Bible is rather, rather different, isn't it? You think about all the people in the Bible that get used by God to get transformed by God to then do his work and be a part of his mission. You've got the Apostle Paul. And you've got uh, King David. So King David, back in the Old Testament, um, he not only uh, committed adultery, but like any good mobster, he had the guy that she was married to whacked, and then he covered over it. And then at the end of his life, he did uh, some some nasty political maneuvers to try to get some more uh, money on his side, and that didn't go so well for him. God used him, and he wrote about 90 psalms in the book uh, in the middle of the Bible that are some of the greatest poetry ever written by man. Right, you had the Father Abraham, ever sang the song Father Abraham back in the Old, Old Testament, way back. Abraham was a coward, right? He played off his beautiful wife as his sister so they wouldn't get killed. He did it, not only did it once, but he did it twice, right? <laughs> Could you imagine me showing up, like, someplace, like, who is this person, like, walking into, like, some sort of, like, seedy bar, <laughs> and like, who's this person with you? Like, oh, this is not my wife, but it's my sister. And then getting disciplined by God and then doing it twice. And God used Abraham to do it, to, to show who he is, to show his grace to the world. And so if you're wondering, can God use you amidst all these struggles and mess of our lives, all the mess that Paul's been dealing with in the book of 1 Corinthians, the answer is clearly yes, because the Apostle Paul, we're going to look at, we're going to pick up with him. The Apostle Paul doesn't quite have the greatest story to his record either. But he's been the one who's been trawling us into, what does the gospel mean? How does... Jesus dying in our place. What does it mean for Jesus to be the center of our lives and free us from Satan's sin and death to be people who follow him? All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to say the main point of this passage, and then we're going to kind of step back, and we're going to kind of pick up and look at remind ourselves, who is it that's been telling us about all this stuff? So the main point is these chapters, these verses... Everybody track with me? I feel really warm up here. Maybe it's because I'm wearing flannel in the summer, right? Everybody track with me? We're good? Okay. Main point of the sermon, main point of this passage, right? We must become slaves to Christ's mission for all people. 
We must become slaves to Christ's mission for all people. That includes you. That includes the people that you don't want to be a part of Jesus' mission. That includes me. That includes everybody. We must become slaves to Christ's mission for all people. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up what does it mean to become people who are slaves of Christ. Right, we're going to kind of talk about that word when we get there. So I know that that kind of sets, we have certain connotations for that word. But first we're going to talk about we need to become people who are freed by Christ. We need to become people freed by Christ. So we're going to step back and we're going to look at the story of the Apostle Paul. Because if, if you don't know who Paul is, he started out his name was Saul, Paul. Kind of the same thing. It's kind of like having the name Jacob or Jake. It kind of goes both ways. Right? But Paul, he was what was known as a Pharisee in the Old Testament. Right? He followed God's law. He followed all the rules. He did everything perfectly. There's some speculation that he might have been um, the, the rich young ruler in the gospel accounts. He was a man that knew who um, God's law. He followed God's law and loved God's law, but necessarily, didn't necessarily love God personally as he showed himself in Jesus. And we find him so committed to his perspective, his political persuasion. Right? You guys think that the, political, the politics today are heated? Right? So they were so heated back then when Jesus rose from the grave. And you got people going around saying, like, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. It's all about Jesus. And you got all the people who believe the Old Testament being like, that's total bonk. That's not anything close to the reality. They, the discussion got so heated between those guys that Paul stood by when Stephen was stoned to death in Acts, in Acts chapter 7. And he took care of everybody's coats, right? He was the coat guy. He put all of them on the rack, get their numbers. All right, here you're going to go murder Stephen. Here's your rock. Take your rock. All right, here's your, take your jacket. Put your jacket on the rack. All right, you guys go to Stone Stephen, and he liked it. Said so, so Acts chapter 8, chapter verse 1, that he approved of Stephen getting murdered. And then he goes and gets permission from the political uppers and says, I want to go enforce our perspective of getting rid of all these Christians. I want to go enforce that over here in this town called Damascus. He gets uh, permission. He's on the road. And then while he's on the road, like anybody driving on Highway 93, actually, he didn't run into a deer, but actually, he, he ran into Jesus himself, right? We would run into deers up here, wouldn't we? We're just, he runs into Jesus, and Jesus kicks him off his uh, horse, says, why are you persecuting me? And in a moment, Paul is, Paul's heart is changed to not be against Jesus, but be submitted and enslaved to Jesus. And Paul goes on to discuss that. He talks about what that was like here. So I'm going to kind of pull from his letters. So Galatians chapter 1, he talks about what this was like for him. For I would would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached to me is not man's gospel. So this is Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 to 16. For I did not receive it from any man, nor as I taught it, but I received it through a revelation from Jesus Christ. Right. So Jesus Christ himself said, hey, Paul, here's the deal. You have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, right? So we just talked about that, and, and tried to destroy it. And I was advanced in, advancing in Ju- Judaism beyond many of my own among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, and he who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles... Right? He goes on to talk about what that was like. Paul, he recognized, I was, I was on the fast track. I was in the, in the, I was in the fast track for the Jewish system at the time, the religious system at the time. I was on the fast track to being an influential person 
to enforce the traditions of our fathers, right? Not just a perspective, but a tradition. But then God showed himself. He stepped in and he broke my heart. And he revealed himself. Did you see that in verse 15? But he who had set me apart before I was born, right? So Paul, when he, when God looked at Paul, he already knew, Paul, you're going to try to destroy the church. You're going to try to be this type of person who thinks he's so good and great. But I'm going to break your heart because I love to do it. And he called me by his grace and was pleased to reveal his son to me. Right, Paul, he's stating the reality, right? I was against God and his people. But then let's pick up here Philippians chapter 3. He again kind of reflects on this. Philippians 3, the verses will be up here. Philippians 3, verse 4. Pick up verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has a right for confidence in the flesh, I have more. So Paul, he kind of reflecting back on his former life when he was a Pharisee, he's basically talking about, if you think you got a great resume before God, bro, I, my LinkedIn page is beating you like nobody else's business. My LinkedIn page is jacked, right? It is awesome. So here's what his LinkedIn page read. Circumcised on the eighth day, right? These are not things on my uh, LinkedIn page. The people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, right? So he's basically saying, like, look, I graduated from Harvard, right? I came from the right families, right? I went to the right boarding school, right? I got the right pedigree. We did the birthday parties at the right place. I did everything exactly right. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless, right? So he's just like, bro, I had it. I had my life all together. I had it all tidied up. I was perfectly put together. Indeed, I count everything as loss, Right, sorry, I skipped a verse. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. <laughs> Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and counted them as rubbish, right? When he uses that word, that's a real visceral word. Like, think of like a horrendously smelling trash pile. Rubbish. Count all of those good things on my LinkedIn page as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and share with his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by all means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead." See, so here's Paul. He's reflecting on who is he, who was he before Jesus, and how did his perspective change when he became a part of Jesus, when Jesus revealed himself to him? Paul is basically saying, I loved how good I was, and I was all put together. I loved how great I was and committed to God, and then God showed me I had nothing before him. It was all for nothing. It was all for me. All of my life and goodness was all about putting Paul up and committing to who Paul was and God on Paul's terms. And then God comes down and sits on Paul's face and breaks his heart and shatters him in his bondage to himself and frees his heart. Right? F.F. Bruce, one of the great New Testament scholars of the 20th century, the subtitle to his biography about the apostle Paul is The Apostle of the Heart Set Free. Paul had engaged, had been engaged by Jesus, and everything about him came undone, right? We have this famous line that we'll talk about all the time from Tim Keller. It's actually in Prodigal God. 
The main thing separating you and God is not your sin, but your damnable good works, right? The Christian message is not just you've screwed up and Jesus wants to wipe away all your screw-ups and your sin, but it's actually that you think that you can be good enough on your own terms, and he's actually forgiven for you for that as well. Right? You can't prove yourself to God to get his smile. But the gospel comes in like, a, like this thunder from last night. You guys remember the thunderstorm that comes through? Just boom, these huge lightning comes through. I'm watching it, and I'm just thinking, that's what freedom is. Freedom is God comes in and says, you're free because of who I am and what I've done. Not because of anything you've earned. You can't work up the freedom. You can't get yourself free on your own terms. Right? The Apostle Paul was on his way to kill Jesus' people. He was on his way to wipe out the church, and God comes in and breaks him and frees him so that now he's a slave to God's mission and purposes. And that is what Paul is so excited about. He is freed from everything that defined him before, and now everything about him, good, bad, ugly, it's all in submission to Jesus, right? So the, right and this is kind of where we're picking this up in from 1 Corinthians 9. 1 Corinthians 9, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews, right? Did you, you see the incredible statement? It's kind of subtle there. You don't pick it up right away, but Here's a man, right? His LinkedIn page, remember his LinkedIn page? Bro, I'm the best Jew that you could ever meet. And now Jesus comes in and so changes his identity that he now talks about like his, his former heritage as though it's like going to like a foreign land, right? Like, oh, to the English? Like, I went to the English and I walked on the left side of the street. Like, he talks about his former people, right? What he grew up in, his pedigree, his LinkedIn page. Like, it's something that he has to go and then submit to again. His identity has been so separated, so freed in Jesus that his family heritage and all his religious heritage is a foreign entity to him because he's been freed in Jesus, right? This, this would be like the white neo-Nazi having his heart broken by Jesus and then the black church that he burned to the ground, right? We just had all these, Louisville, these churches down in Louisiana, these black churches that were burned, becoming, going, rebuilding the church and becoming the janitor in that church, Right? maybe a deacon in the church, right? His heart had been so changed. There was such, there was, and where there was animosity before, he had been changed and freed by Jesus. Right? He no longer thinks of himself as anything that he was by birth. Now it is all by grace and who Jesus is. This gives us hope because if there's anything that the Bible shows us is that story after story, person after person, with all the wreck and damage of their lives, Jesus offers moment by moment freedom for those things that you are most afraid of, most enslaved to, most bound by. So what is it for you? Is it that you just, in general, I'm not in Jesus and I want to be, that freedom sounds nice, sounds good, I'd like that. Maybe it's general, maybe it's anger, Maybe it's greed, bitterness, and shame, resentment. This is why we talk about the gospel so much. Right? This is why we insist on making the gospel in all of our songs, in our worship services, because at the end of the day, the only thing that will make you happy is not whether you got all of your to-do list done, or you did your job perfectly, or you didn't screw up today. Jesus 
in all of his glory and goodness, his kindness and grace to you, that is the only thing that will make you happy. That is the only thing that will give you the power to say, I did screw up or I didn't quite screw up as much today, but even still, God's favor on me only smiles upon my life because of Jesus. And if that's your freedom, if that's the source of your freedom, not some document that was written in, you know, what, 300 years ago, right? I secured me, secured me these rights and kicked the British out, right? That's not our source of freedom and liberty. Our source of freedom and liberty is Jesus himself, who faced the greatest anger and fear that we could ever face. God's wrath for our sin and the silence of death. He took those on for us so that we would be freed into a loving, free relationship with God. So, where is it that you're wanting freedom? Because that's where God wants to start meeting you so that you can become a slave to Jesus' mission of love. So we're going to kind of pick up here, continuing, circle back on verse 19 and read through verse 23, because the next thing we're going to talk about is becoming people who are slaves like Christ. Next point, God, becoming people who are slaves like Christ. Let me read for us verses 19 through 23. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak... I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do, all, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. So, here is one of the great passages in the Bible and the New Testament about what does it mean to be a missionary, to join God's mission. And Paul starts out by saying what? He has become a servant. Verse 19, if you think about a missionary, the first thing you should think about a missionary is that they are a servant. And actually, the New Testament word here, the word is actually slave. The reason we don't usually use that word slave in our English translations, bit of a speculation, but from kind of reading some of the literature, some of the reasons is because when we think slave, we think of American slavery and the slave trade in America, which is not even close to what the biblical term means, right? We think of ethnic race-based slavery. That's not what's going on in this situation. It is, there is ownership involved, but it's not a... Uh, it, it, the word, when we use it in English, tends to have uh, greater baggage than what the New Testament means. It means coming under subservient to, owned by, submitted to, committed to the purposes of another. That is what slave is... And it's used here. I, so Paul is saying, I made myself, right? So I made myself, I came under, I put myself into slavery, right? Do you pick, you pick up on how strange a phrase that is, right? He's just talked about being free. I'm free in Jesus. I'm freed. I'm now by, by God's kindness, I've been freed. And now I've made myself a slave, right? I've, be, I've, I've taken it on, right? It is love that is driving him to this perspective. Paul takes people's, he takes people seriously, Right. Do you notice this? For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. Right? I have made myself a servant. Right? So he is saying there are people who need to know Jesus, and I have come under them, which means, first of all, he's taking their position and their context seriously. 
right? He is taking their needs, their burdens, their, di- their dynamics of how they think and process and live in the world. He's taking them seriously, and he's coming under that to do what? To show them, point them, to reveal, help them see who Christ is, right? In fact, you might even say that Paul's perspective of how he does missionary work is he is dependent on the people he's serving to understand how to show them Christ, right? He's dependent on who they are, their needs and burdens, to give him indications of what, what, where's the, the entry door, where is the context, the conversation, the perspective, the changes, the needs, how do I bring Christ in and I let, let them show it to me, right? Not, here's what you got to know on my terms. It's serving, coming under, so that people see what are the needs that they have that Jesus is speaking to in the gospel. This is what a slave does, right? I've just been watching the Batman series, right? This is what Alfred does for Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne is Batman, if you didn't know that. He comes under and he, he serves all the needs. The, the butler comes under all the needs of Batman, right? We are trying to be like Alfred. <laughs> we need to come under the folks around us, understand their burdens and needs, right? This, so then this is what he says, verses 20 to 22. Right, I have become, right, to those under the law, I have become as one under the law. To those outside the law, I've become as one outside the law. Right? He has taken on... I think what he is saying here is that you have these kind of four categories he lays out. You have Jews, you have those who are under the law, you have those outside the law, and you have the weak. I think what those, those categories are those who are Jewish by heritage, those who are proselytes, so who are people who are not Jews by heritage but believe in the Jewish religion, you have those who are outside the law, who have been Gentiles, and then you have those who are weak. And I think he follows this pattern because in Luke, in, in Acts chapter 1, you say Jesus who says, I want you to preach the good news to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Paul was always thinking of the expansion of the gospel and the needs and the burdens and the perspectives of each person. Right? So you, you have people who would have understand God's law and they would have understand what does it mean for God to save people? And then you have those who are the proselytes that are people who are wanting to be a part of that. So you think of like, like our category would be like refugees, right? People who want to, but they aren't quite. People who are outside who don't know anything about who God is or his purposes. And then the weak who are just like general, like, I'm just so tired of life. Paul is saying each one of them have different perspectives and burdens, needs, cultural dynamics, how they think about things, And he is saying to each one of them, there is something here that God wants us to come under to reveal who Christ is, to come under, to to take on the burden of making ourselves slaves to coming under and owning the mission to them, to to show them who Jesus is. All right, this is when we, the big theological word for this is called contextualization, right? Context, right? With the text, whatever is like, before the sentence I just said, and whatever the sentence, that's context. Contextualization is making things clear within the context that they are. Contextualization is showing how the message of Christ speaks to the culture we live in, right? Notice, what, what did Paul not say? Paul did not say, I became a pagan to the pagans, right? Paul did not say, I became an alcoholic to the alcoholics, right? Paul did not say, I became an idol worshiper to the idol worshipers, 
right? So, so he's not saying, right, I'm going to take on people's sin so that I can show them how Jesus frees you from your sin, <laughs> right? But he did say, I'm going to take on a cultural burden, a cultural identity, a cultural dynamics that you're sharing, that you're living under. I'm going to show you how Jesus enters into that and the explosive power of the gospel to redirect you to Jesus and gospel culture. All right, this is kind of like, so over, we live over, our family, we live over by Elliott Hospital. And I don't know if you guys would have seen this over by Elliott. They just turned this big kind of like, it was basically kind of like this wasteland of, of land that had nothing in it. And they, uh, they dug it up, they blew it all up, and they put a parking garage in, right? And so in the midst of doing that construction project, there's always going to be like a big boulders that you've got to move, right? And how do you move a boulder out of a construction zone? Well, I mean, I guess you could pick it up. But let's just take the analogy of you want to blow up a boulder to be able to move it. How do you do that? Well, if you put the dynamite outside the boulder, what is it going to do? It's just going to like <laughs> spray a little bit of the rock off and... Uh, not be, it's actually going to be like scorched, not going to have much done to it, and you're going to have wasted your dynamite. You could drill inside it, and if you drill inside it but don't do the dynamite, you've just drilled in, but you haven't done anything to move the rock. Contextualization, using this analogy, is drilling into the rock of culture carefully to understand where the dynamics involved, where does this need to go, and then putting the power of the gospel into that hole so that it blows up and changes the culture around you. That, so that's, 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 what the, that's the image of what contextualization is, right? It takes care. It takes understanding. It takes digging into understanding where people are at, under, what are the dynamics they've, they've been involved with. So you can then kind of show them where does the gospel meet that particular need? How does the gospel engage that particular area of our culture so that the explosive power of the gospel changes hearts and lives? Right? The gospel is never changing in this story. Right? You notice in Paul, he's not saying change the message of the gospel. Right? So the message of the gospel is Jesus died in our place under the wrath of God for our sin so that we might become sons and daughters of the living God, live in his resurrection power, and the new creation to come. <laughs> right? That is the power of the gospel. But there are dynamics of each culture and how they think about things. We, we, we talked about this the last few weeks. We're Americans. We think, I mean, our, our state motto is, is people in New Hampshire is live free or die, right? I mean, if you were to go over to Japan, that dynamic of how you think about culture is absolutely like you'd be institutionalized insane, right? It is just not the way they think about things. So the way you bring the power of the gospel in to a culture that idolizes individuality is going to be very different from a culture that's different. So that is what Paul is talking about. And so he is saying, I took this on. I became a slave to the culture. I became a slave to the people I'm serving so that I might be able to show them the power of the gospel. Right? And this is so much like Jesus. This is why we're saying we become slaves like Jesus. Because Jesus, what's the story of Jesus? He, Son of God, eternity, with the Father and the Spirit, perfect union, perfect love, perfect affirmation, perfect delight. He chose to live as a carpenter from Nazareth, took on the culture of the day, and then began to show the glory of the message of God's grace and mercy in the context of his day, taking on all of the, what does it feel like? The Bible talks about him learning through suffering, the burdens of our days. What does it mean to be somebody who has to pay their bills? Who has frustrating neighbors and relationships and family? 
right? You can imagine how hard it is for Jesus, right? I'm imperfect, and I get frustrated with my family, right? Do you imagine what it's like for it to be perfect and then have, like, sinful people in your family? <laughs> but Jesus took on all the dynamics of our lives so that he could show us in our own words and language what does God's grace and mercy look like. And so that's what Paul is doing here. He's saying, I've been transformed by this man to join his mission, to be a slave to his mission of love for those around us. Right? We didn't give up holiness. We didn't give up godliness or a call to being transformed to be like Jesus. But the way in which we engage is changed. And what is the purpose of it, right? Verse 23, I do all of these things for the sake of the gospel that I might share it with them in its blessings, right? There, there are people that still need to hear the gospel in Manchester in 03103, right? That's our zip code, right? I'm forgetting it off the top of my head, right? In the 603 in general, right? 03103, 04, 05, 06, 01, 02. There are people that need to hear that will share with us in the blessings of the gospel. Isn't that incredible? There are people that you still need to share the gospel with, to reach towards, to move towards, to engage, that actually they're going to give you more of Jesus, right? Share in the blessings of the gospel together. So there is something that I need for my own, for my own sake, because I want to grow and in engaging and loving the gospel and who Jesus is. I need to bring more people in so that I get more of Jesus, and they get more of Jesus, and then it continues on and on. There, there is something here that there's an expansive heart of the gospel that is a part of being a slave to the gospel. So who, who are the people that God is leading you to come under, right? Who are the people this summer that maybe, not projects, right? You notice Paul's not making this out of being a project or being deceptive because he takes people seriously. But people you felt the Spirit leading you towards... I just want to encourage him. Use the warm weather as a context, as a, as a place to be able to say, we want to hang out together and get to know each other. I want to know what your burdens are to be able to show you who Jesus is so that you can help me grow in Jesus. Right? This is going to take time. I just want you to know it's going to take time. There are, there's some places in the city that I hang out with. I've been hanging out with those guys for four years. I've been hanging out with folks for four years, and it's only in the last six months that I've gotten on the inside somehow. It takes time. It takes time to get win people's trust and know you're there for them and not for a project. It'll take sacrifice. Right? It'll take sacrifice of your time, your finances. It will also involve repentance, I will say this. I was in a meeting uh, about six months ago. I won't name the organization. It wasn't a Christian organization, but we were sitting around and we were talking about some dynamics of how to um, help kids in the city. And I thought it was very interesting, it very quickly turned into a commentary on how poor, on folks who are in lower income or folks who are from poor families, that those, those parents are basically lazy and, you know, not taking ownership and they don't have their lives together and blah, blah, blah. It was a very, very quickly turned into a demeaning conversation about people who are not economically up. And I just remember walking away feeling like, man, like, that is not what we are about. Like that, they haven't, that's not, doesn't reflect anything of the folks who are lower income that I know. They're very caring parents. They have three jobs, right? They're trying to provide for their families. They're, in, they're doing the best that they can. 
So it will often involve, so this wasn't a Christian context where I could have just said, hey, you guys need to repent. <laughs> you're, being, you're being demeaning towards folks in our city who are poor. But if that's us, it will involve repentance. It will involve us saying, you know what, I've got to own up that there's some perspectives here. There's classism, there's some sort of racism, there's some sort of dynamic where I'm realizing in my own heart, I've got a perspective here. I've not thought of this person, taking them seriously on their own terms. I need to repent in order to be able to come under. That's going to be involved with this process. And it will be inconvenient. Okay, we're going to finish this up here in a few seconds. This is hard work. Does that sound hard to you? <laughs> it sounds hard to me. It's exhausting. That's why I go to bed and I sleep like a baby, unless I've got babies. Um, it's hard work. And the way we, st- so the question is then going to be we're going to finish out this passage with the last few verses. How do we stay healthy? How do we stay healthy in being slaves to Christ's mission for all people? This is where Paul mind goes, and so that's why he talks about becoming people who are training in Christ. Becoming people who are training in Christ. The last few verses, let me read this, and then we'll kind of make some thought, some, finish out some gospel thoughts on this. Do you not realize that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath. But, but we, in an imperishable, we do not run aimlessly. We do not box as one beating the air. But I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I, should my, I myself should be disqualified. All right, so just to remind us, part of the context here, so in, in the ancient world, we still have the Olympics today, right? The Olympics, the ancient world had the Olympics going on, right? So uh, the Olympics would have been in Athens, Greece, and this is Corinth, and Corinth hosted the Isthmian Games, right? So, the, so think of it like this, right? You have every four years you've got the Olympics. So you've got every four years you've got your one shot to prove that you're the best of the best. But let's say you're in soccer, and so you've got FIFA World Cup or whatever on the off years, and you've got you know, European Cup on the other off year. This would have been like that. So the Isthmian Games, right? It's not natural for me to say it that way. They would have been like on the off years the year before and the year after the Olympics. So they would have had in their mind, we've regularly got these beastly athletes coming through, doing, being there the best of the best. And so they would have had in their mind, I know what it takes for those guys to become who they are. Right? Watch them. You see their regimen. Right? And Paul is picking up, right? again, contextualization. He's saying, you guys need to care for your souls. You need to make sure you're healthy in Jesus. So you last the race with Jesus, and so he is then picking up, contextualizing for them their picture of what does that look like. Well, you got to do something like what the athletes do with your own hearts, right? We don't, the idea here is that you don't drift into loving Jesus, right? You don't just kind of like happen to wake up in the morning, you're just kind of like, I love Jesus, he's the best, I just want to obey God. Those Ten Commandments, they're the best, I love them. Ten Commandments are awesome, I love them, I want to follow those, those are the best. Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Mount, that's my food. I love it. You don't just kind of like happen to get there. <laughs> you have to work towards it. It's hard work. Right? That's why Paul, you know, he, he has, he's saying all these words, active words, run, run hard, exercise self-control. I do it to receive a reward. Don't run aimlessly, not boxing in the wind. I discipline my body. I keep it under control. Right? This is the idea of putting grace to work in our lives. I think... Um, it's fun. I, 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 we all have our sports that we follow. The one that I like to watch, I, I like keeping up with World's Strongest Man and Strongman competitions, and the big guy in that right now is Thor. Do you guys know Thor Bjornsson? Yeah. Yeah, dude, he is a beast. 
Have you seen it? Can I throw some pictures up here of Thor? I just want to put, this is Thor. He is lifting 1,041 pounds. This is back in 2007, 2017. And he, he does the lift. Like, he, he fulfills the lift. This guy is six foot nine inches. He weighs close to 450 pounds. And I mean, does that look like a 450 pound? He doesn't look like it. Just to give perspective, can we put the next picture? Right, this is him next to his wife, just to give you perspective of um, what does he look like next to a normal-sized person? Can we fill this next one up? So that's his wife. <laughs> his wife comes up to his armpit. <laughs> like, she's a normal-sized person, like any other woman in this room, right? <laughs> she, he is a beast of a size. And then just to, for, for additional perspective, can we put this next picture up? This is, this is Thor meeting Jay. This is peak Jay. This is Jay at highest possible performance Jay. And, he, and, and, <laughs> and Thor... Thor's like patting him on the head like a kid, you know? <laughs> that's how huge he is. Okay, so we can take those down because that's going to be distracting for me at least. But so Thor, his regiment, I just want to read you his regiment because this guy, to become a world class of this size, all right, he eats, I just want to I put this on your radar, he eats 10,000 calories a day. All right, so just, just think of this, a normal person, like, even, even you on your worst binge day, right? When you just like, at the end of the day, I can't handle it anymore, and you're just scooping the ice cream in, like even you on your worst day, maybe 25, you have to work. 25, so most people eat between 1,500 to 2,500 calories a day, right? That's kind of like 2,000 is kind of the general idea of what most people eat, right? So he eats what you eat in five days, he eats in one day, and let me, let me just read you his food schedule, and you might start getting hungry because it's starting to get close to lunch, right? He starts out at 7 a.m. with six to eight egg whites, one full egg, one cup of oatmeal, and one bowl of fruits. All right, so six to eight eggs. Like, <laughs> all right, so 10 a.m., two granola bars, one cup of oatmeal with one cup of fruit, two scoops, and one protein shake. At one o'clock, here's where it gets crazy, he does two pounds of chicken or fish or turkey or lean beef one cup of oatmeal, one cup of brown rice, one bowl of vegetables, raw or cooked. Yeah, <laughs> I know, at least it's healthy, I know. But four slices of bread and one protein shake. Okay. All right, that, we're just at one o'clock. <laughs> at 3.30, he eats a bowl of, fed, of fruits and vegetables, two granola bars, and, a, and two, two uh, protein shakes. At 5.30, he does three cups of skim milk, and then he does pasta, oatmeal, egg whites, one of those, or four slices of bread. At 7.30, he does what he did at 1 o'clock again. So that was the two pounds of whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just going nuts thinking about this. And then he does, to cap it all off, at 9.30 at night, blended whey protein. And then he's actually doing like snacks in between that, right? So 10,000 calories a day, right? And then on top of that, he works out three times a week, on like normal normal schedule, and then he does two days of strongman events. So, so he is doing squats, military press, cleans, chin ups, bent over rows, deadlifts, conditioning work. So that's like riding a bike or something like that. Push press. Friday he does um, speed deficit or dead, deficit deadlifts, front squats, bench press, upper body assistance work, and then on Saturdays and Sundays, just for fun, like the rest of us would do, he's lifting tires, pulling cars, and all that sort of crazy stuff. It's, in, I mean, <laughs> it's insane, right? But he is illustrating for us, right, and just so you know, like, 
you could have picked anybody, right? Michael Phelps, right? 28 gold, uh, Olympic medals, right? I think 20 of them, 23 of them were individual. He, uh, he, there was a rumor going around that he was eating like 12,000 calories a day. He was like, no, that's just a joke. It's just only like eight to 10,000 calories a day. You're just like, okay, so Michael Phelps and Thor, they're still doing the, basically the same sort of regimen. The, the, the point is to illustrate for us when Paul says, right? Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, right? Thor's world records will go into the dust someday. It will not last. He won World's Strongest Man, Arnold Classic, Europe Classic last year. Somebody will do that again someday and do it better than him. But you, Christian, you are seeking an imperishable reward, right? This is all about training our souls to grow in Jesus. I'm not saying that you've got to now take on some sort of spiritual regimen where you're taking in 10,000 spiritual calories a day. <laughs> but the picture is very clear. Take your soul's happiness and health in Jesus very, very seriously. Because the race is long, the work is hard, there are dark days now or ahead. There will be doubts and struggles along the way, just like any athlete faces. There will be sin and weakness and fear and horrors that you could not imagine now. And Jesus is saying, get your soul happy in me. Right? This isn't to earn his affection, but this is my soul. I wake up in the morning. I have to like become a Christian every morning. <laughs> Like, I have to, like, get my cup of coffee and realize, yes, I'm in Jesus. I, I, I need to wake up and love Jesus again. We have to move towards it, right? So these disciplines of grace, this is a whole category. We are already running at 45 minutes. So I'm going to, we're just going to say, we're going to do this another time. But the purpose is, are we getting God's word regularly into our hearts? Are we delighting in the gospel not that you're earning God's favor, right? The difference in this analogy for Paul is that we're not running the race to like prove ourselves to God so that we then get accepted at the end. You've been accepted. You've been delighted in and enjoyed for who you are in Jesus. And don't you want to build that relationship? Right? That, that's the purpose here. Getting God's word into our hearts. If you're trying to figure out a way to do that, the book of Psalms, it's literally like my favorite book in the Bible. If I could only have one book in the Bible on a desert island, Apart from having the book of Jonah, I would like to have the Psalms. <laughs> and the book of Jonah, by the way, for people who don't know the Bible, it's a guy who gets stranded and has to get on a boat and get back to God. I'd, I'd like to be able to get off a desert island. But book of Psalms, read one Psalm a day, right? Or pick the book of Matthew. Read one book, read one chapter in the book of Matthew or Mark a day. Just, and a part of it, training, you know what, the, with these guys, they've turned food into work, right? Often, Growing spiritually doesn't feel like growing spiritually, right? It's hard. It, you just don't want to do it, right? Sometimes you just don't want to do it. But we are becoming, we're doing something because we want to become where it's leading us, right? This is what it means to grow in the gospel. Sometimes spiritual growth doesn't feel like it, but we have to take our hearts seriously so that we are training to grow in Jesus. Okay. The main point of all this has been we must become slaves to Christ's mission for all people. There are ways that God's going to change your life through the gospel so that you can reach people that only you can reach with your story because Jesus wants to show them the power of the gospel for their lives. 
Let's pray. Father, it feels like it's getting warm in here. It feels like we a little tired. We need you to awaken our souls to Jesus so that we can join you in your mission. Father, we want to be a part of what Jesus is doing. You have made us a part of what Jesus is doing because you've saved us. And Father, we are eager to be more deeply in love with being slaves to your mission because we want more people in this room. We want more churches planted in the city. We want more people knowing and loving Jesus. So in his name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. Please feel free to share or distribute this content, but do not charge for it or alter the content in any way without permission. King's Cross Church exists to treasure, proclaim, and grow in the gospel of Jesus Christ. To find out more about King's Cross Church, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com.